You are listening to New Moon Rising, a Vampire the Masquerade 20th Anniversary Edition actual play, brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of New Moon Rising. So far, we focused on the story of Phil, Elliot, Audrey, and Felix as they try to figure out the politics of the Chicago kindred. In this episode, we leave them and tune in on the other member of their gang. Returning back from his road trip to Madison, Jamie drops off Felix and heads home to his haven. This is where we start his story and the other side of the story for Chicago's kindred. Welcome to episode six. Jamie's in his mid to late 20s. He's a rich kid who just happened to be real good with numbers. Um, And he always tried to downplay and fit in. Um, He tries to dress like he's a little socioeconomically below where he's at, but it's always the clothes are just a little too nice for that late. If his jeans are ripped, it's because he bought them that way. Okay. That type of thing. Um, And that's usually what he wears. He wears, like, jeans and a T-shirt. Maybe he'll throw, like, a long-sleeve shirt over it. Maybe it'll be a Henley one night. It just depends. Uh, And his dress hasn't really changed since the embrace. He's a little scruffy. Kind of blonde hair. Eyes are a little dark on the blue, dark to the blue side. At the end of this night, you and Felix, um, Felix, as you're getting to know him, Felix is uh, what you what you'd call, for lack of a better term, sort of like a a renegade or um, you know, basically someone who's come from a different organization, um, and because of his sort of difference in mentality. Um, he can be a little unsettling. So um, what I mean by that is he is, for someone that is as youthful as your character is, you don't, it's not as if you pretend like you're, you're a human. You don't see yourself as like putting on false airs. You see it as a genuine struggle with what you are as one of the kindred, as you've come to learn the term. And sort of how you fit into the world around you, having to um, sort of, you know, feed off of the living and act as almost like a a leech um, can be very fitting. He seems to be very comfortable with that fact and in fact, cavalier about it. So being around him is a bit unsettling. Spending four hours with him on the road can be even worse because you watch this guy and the way he responds to humans is a lot like how you'd respond to a taco truck driving down the street, you know, or um, or a hunter out with a, you know, looking for to hunt pheasant or turkey. Um, definitely there's something off-putting about him. So you two get done with your task for the evening and you have no problem dropping him off um, at, uh, at Phil's, you know, biker club and 
moving right along with your night. You've got stuff to do, no big deal. Um, and you've been texting her back and forth. And um, the updates that you've gotten are kind of like, there's, there's some issues on the table, but it doesn't seem like it's anything that requires your specific attention, especially after you spent all the time doing what you were doing with the evening. So you go back to your haven. Jamie's haven is... It's, it's a small-ish apartment. Just on the edge of one of the more recently gentrified neighborhoods. Um, so he's trying to stay on the cusp. Um, maybe it's kind of one of those things where his retainers are going to flip it for him. He just kind of bounces around. I mean, he's smart enough to know he can't stay one place for too long. He... What, what they tend to do as very vocal anarchs is piss people off. So he knows he needs to be able to bounce. Okay. All right. So um, that evening, you get back to your haven, um, get into your apartment. It's actually like um, in the top floor of like one of those old brick like manufacturing plants. Okay. And the manufacturing plant has actually been like rezoned for... Uh, residential area, very typical. You see it kind of all over the city and a lot of like bigger cities, especially where, you know, manufacturing has become on the decline and something needs to inhabit that space. And so um, a real estate company has renovated it. And um, in Jamie's mind, it is a very modest apartment. For us as people, we would look at it and we'd be like, whoa, this fucking place is cool. Right. You know, it's a place where like a band could practice out of, you know, there's very little um, like going on in this building and you're kind of like on the forefront of it, which is deliberate. Right. For what you are, you need privacy during the day. Um, but the actual haven itself, you know, it's a it's like a, an open um, studio apartment, but it is very much a studio apartment. And um, it's gotten on the cheap because, you know, like you said, this neighborhood is very recently kind of like being reintroduced to the population. So you go up the old school elevator, you know, you pull the gate down and you go up and mm-hmm. it opens up to your apartment. Nothing out of the ordinary going on. Um, you go in through your keys, your jacket, whatever, um, down. And um, time is about 2 a.m. So... Um, Unless you had anything that you wanted to do that evening, that's kind of where you're 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 winding up. I mean, he'll check on business ventures. He'll he'll maybe on weekends he touches base with his herd, his mm-hmm. his, his cousins, um, check in with them, see how things are going. You know, set up the next time they're going to hang out. But through a weekday, no, it's it's pretty much he he realizes that people are sleeping he doesn't have a need to sleep but he's still young enough where he kind of gets that yawn and that stretch where he thinks he should be tired so the rest of your night is spent in front of the computer um checking uh you know various balances and investments and things of that nature that's all stuff i personally as a storyteller i don't have a clue about but i understand it when i see it right you know what i mean yeah so your character, um, being someone who's actually quite adept with numbers, um, you spend the remainder of your evening dealing with that. Um, dawn approaches. You'll um, make yourself ready, and um, you'll go to sleep. Um, with this kind of place, uh, you've, you've afforded every luxury. Basically, all your windows are blacked out. 
um, you actually have a couple layers of security um, because you can afford it. Um, one of which is, of course, that blacked out windows. Um, and then you actually have um, like a full safe that you had purchased and installed up here um, where you lock yourself in every night. Okay. So you're completely free from risk from sunlight. So you'll wake up the next, uh, the next evening. Nothing out of the ordinary, but you feel that, that tug, that hunger. It happens every night. You wake up, you're, you need a little bit more than you needed the night before. Okay. But no, no sense of urgency or emergency. Summers are a little difficult for the kindred because the nights are much shorter. So it's about 7.30. You're young. It's not hard for you to, to rise almost right after the sun goes down. About 7.45, how your, your place is set up, you have the elevator that takes you up from like the garage, you know, you pull in at the bottom. Years ago, that's where they would manufacture cars and the cars would park down the bottom level and then all of the offices and everything would be up above. Yeah. Those have been converted into apartments. That's where you are. So um, you park your vehicle down below and you take the elevator up or on the other end, there's a set of fire doors. Um, so like, you know, escape down stairwell instead of taking the elevator. Right. Um, when you wake up, um, you'll actually hear immediately. It's almost as if it wakes you up is like someone pounding on the door. Like no one's opened it, but you'll definitely hear that pounding and it's incremental. It's like every couple of seconds, somebody knocking on your door. Okay. Um, is there a window I can actually see out of some sort of people, anything? Well, did I think that far ahead? What's your technology? None. Yeah, no. How about your computers? Uh, computer I have at no. Okay, then I need you to roll your intelligence plus your resources for me. Because this is going to give me an indication of how smart you'd be to... Plus my resources? Yeah, plus your resources. That's going to give me eight. Sometimes you don't need to be smart. You just need to hire the right people. Right. And it's div six. So just let me know how many successes you have. Uh, let's see. So that's going to take one away. And that's going to take one away. Two tens. Do you have any Two. specialties? Uh, no, not okay. currently. So with two successes, this is actually fairly easily thought out. Um, you do have a smart device um, on the wall by the door. It's a little tablet. And the person that you hired to work out the security of your of your haven, um, there are definitely cameras that work off of the, the internet. You know how the hell it works. Right. You just know you tap the little screen and it shows you who's outside your doors. Um, simple enough. So... You'll remember that, walk over and tap the thing, and you'll see, appears to be an African-American individual um, wearing like a leather jacket, one of those light leather jackets, kind of like, you know, it's fit for summer, but, you know, he's still probably a little hot in it, not a big deal. Um, dressed in just like a black shirt and slacks, nothing remarkable about him, wearing a pair of sunglasses, um, and he's holding an envelope, and he just looks kind of nondescript, you know, physically well-built. But, um, yeah, unremarkable. Sunglasses at night. Um, Okay, I'll uh, yell, I'll speak through the door uh, asking who it is. Who is it? Well, it's the other thing, too. So with this, you tap the screen, there's a little button, and you can talk through them. It's like a little monitor. Yeah, right. Um, 
and he'll he'll just say, uh, I'm here with an invitation. He'll show up the envelope. Okay, I'll open the door. He'll hand you an envelope. Okay. It's from my boss. I'll be downstairs. He turns and walks away. Well, okay then. Um, okay, so I'll go back inside real quick and... You are invited by special invitation. You are requested to join us for early dinner and debate tonight, 8 p.m. to 2 a.m. Join Chicago's elite as we usher in a new era of prosperity, growth, and sucker. Informal attire is the humor nocturne. Shuttle to and from the event is provided and waiting. Discretion should be should be used when arriving or departing. Well, okay. Grab my keys and my cell phone and I think while I'm walking I'm gonna shoot Phil a text message and say hey got this thing gonna you know go okay. do it if you don't hear from me you might know why okay it's very important because I will need to know exactly what that text message says okay go ahead and go ahead and write it down. down yep write it write it down <laughs> got an invitation to a dinner debate being chauffeured there. If you don't hear from me from me by two thirty, I'm probably dead. So you'll send the text. Service being what it is. Sometimes when you're in shitty neighborhoods in Indiana, you don't get service. Yeah. So you'll go down, you know, the elevator, what have you. Um, when you get downstairs, uh, you'll see um, you'll see a, a black Acura, and you'll see that individual that I described and another individual. Um, standing outside of the car. The one that was at your door, he has a phone. Um, you'll be able to pick up without a problem. He just arrived. We'll be along directly. And he hangs up the phone. Okay. As you walk to the car, the other individual who is a Caucasian white guy, um, he has the bearing of like a mixed martial artist. You know, the the shape of a head of a man's head when he spends a lot of time weightlifting and like doing jujitsu and you know he just kind of like has that square jaw you know those ridges in his head very short hair crew cut not wearing glasses but like his eyebrows are definitely they've been beaten so they're thick you know he's got that ridge to him yeah but it seems cordial enough as you walk to the car he'll step to the passenger side open the um the back door to the car uh, the rear rear door to the car, rear passenger side, and he'll step aside to let you in. Okay. I will get in. I'm used to this. So They'll let you in, close the door, and the two of them will get in. Okay. Inside the car, it uh, it is exactly how you would expect it to be from kind of the way that these guys have presented themselves. Um, the inside of the car smells new. You know, it's kept in pristine condition. In the back seat, in the middle, there is a there's a wooden box, like a humidor. Open cigars inside, which strikes you as odd that they would like let you smoke cigars in their new car, but right. they're there. Other than that, uh, there's just like very low music playing that you can't really place. Air conditioners running. It's you know at a constant like 71 degrees. It's very well. Temperature's very well. It's very quiet. And they'll get in the car and they'll start driving. Do you do anything during the ride? Um, I mean, other than just like look, pay attention to the environment after a few minutes. Yep. So, gentlemen, you know where I live. Where are we going? So, first things first, do me a favor and go ahead and roll me a perception plus survival at a difficulty of eight. 
Uh, nope. Well, what you can tell, very matter-of-factly, about these men right off the bat is they're both mortal. They're both breathing. But that's really all you can get. The guy in the driver's seat will... You'll see him look up into the rearview mirror, even though you can't see his eyes because he's wearing sunglasses. He'll he'll just kind of uh, very matter-of-factly respond. We're going to where your invitation said to take you. An actual address? Can't give that out. Great. Okay. Also, I'll need you to roll your wits plus your politics at a difficulty of eight. Uh, two. Okay. So a couple of things that strike you right away. Obviously, this this invitation, it bears the marking of your clan. Yes. So it's safe to say that your clan has invited you to something. Two, based on where you're driving right now, um, you're probably headed to Chicago. Um, it's safe to say that if you've gotten an invitation and they've put you in a car and treated you with decorum up to this point, it doesn't doesn't seem like they'd be taking you to kill you. Right. Um, also, the interesting thing about Sakor and the use of that word is that it has meaning within the context of your clan. When a Ventru is in need, it is it is the the duty of any Ventru to grant him Sakor if asked. So that, that would mean if you were in need of something and you went to a Ventru, even if you were on the outs politically, they would be almost required their, their decorum would require them to extend you aid, at least until you got on the feet, on your feet, and then they tell you to fuck off. So it's just interesting that they would use that word in that context. But that's of no mind. So you will drive, um, from where you're at in Gary, it actually takes about a 45-minute drive to get like into the city proper. You have to go up and around the lake and you know through all the freeways and everything. You've been to Chicago. You yeah. understand how that yeah. works. This is where you end up. Um, you will drive around to this building. Um, it's called the Smart Museum. You know, it's a fairly nondescript square building um, downtown in one of the nicer areas of the city. This is where you will end up stopping. They will drive through these this set of gates there and into a parking lot. The majority of the building appears to be lights out, and you'll not see anybody outside at the moment, but you will see a number of other cars but as you come in. The gate closes, and they will. The two men will step out. Okay. The driver will walk over to the passenger side, open the door, and he'll let you out. Okay. He'll just start walking. The other guy will stay with the car. I will follow him. Okay. So you'll walk through, and you'll uh, walk through the parking lot, and he'll go to a door. You know, it says "Keep Out, Employees Only." He pulls out a key, unlocks the door, and opens it. And he'll sort of hustle you in through. Like, have you ever been inside the back end of a mall? Yeah. Yeah. So if you ever worked in a mall, you know there's a lot of, like, um, there's a lot of hallways and, 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 like, service entrances and stuff like that. This is basically the same basic principle. He'll walk you through this back hallway and outdoor, and eventually you'll find yourself going up a flight of stairs and through a door into what appears to be a fairly opulent lounge. Inside this lounge, there's a nice desk, computer on it. All the walls here are uh, like they're white, maybe like pressed wood or plastic. Very artistic, but like in a very modern sense of the word. You see how this is set up? Yeah, very. It's like very open, very, very minimal, very white. And that's basically all the walls and floors in this area. But this is definitely an office. You can see off to the side, not against a wall, but like not 
in a way where it looks like it's in the middle of the room. You'll see a couch, just like a gray, very comfortable cushioned couch setting there. And uh, he'll the person who's led you up here will will sort of usher for you to sit. Mm, I'll, I will take a seat and do my best to appear, you know, not nervous, but... Very well. Uh, he, at that point, he'll leave the office. Okay. Um, he'll go back out the door that he came, and then you'll kind of just be sitting there for a while. And the silence in the room for the few minutes is kind of deafening, because the only thing that you can hear is the buzzing of the lights above you, and you're left with kind of like the dull hunger of your beast. And also the concern that you're not quite sure what the hell is going right. on. Some things you can ascertain. You're in the city, and this seems official. That's about it. You'll be sitting there for not that long, maybe a minute or two, and across the room a door will open, and you'll see a man walk in. He'd place him in his 60s, maybe, and uh, he's got full gray beard. He's dressed with like a button-down shirt, but with like a, one of those vests, like sweater vests over it, maroon in color, a pair of brown khakis, and he'll walk in, and he'll notice, he'll notice you. Oh, how are you? I'm fine, but curious. Oh, yes, of course you'd be curious. Is there anything that I can get for you until the other guests arrive? Mm. Forgive me, you're you're the newcomer, right? You're the... This is my first time here, yes. Yes, yes. He'll walk over. Forgive me, I've been completely rude. My name is Critias. How are you? He'll extend his hand. I will shake it in return. And your name? Uh, Jamie. Jamie. Jamie Tyson. Yes, yes, yes. You're the one I've heard so very little about. Yes, of course. Other guests will be arriving. It might be a few moments. Some of our other uh, guests like to arrive fashionably late, but I think the man of the hour will be here momentarily to speak with you. Of course, for those of you who rarely ever attend or are new to the the court. You may not want to stay the entire time. Totally understandable. Is there anything that I can get for you? A refreshment or... Not currently, thank you. Does his name mean anything to Jamie? Which politics? One right now. You can definitely roll it. I'll give you intelligence plus politics at a difficulty of eight. Uh, one. One. You have heard the name Critias in circles with Phil. You believe he's an elder of her clan? So that would make him a Bruja, but this he's an elder. That's that's about as much right. as you could yeah. tell. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as as much as you can remember. He's an elder elder who hasn't left. Right. right. He's an elder with a name. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. So you remember her telling the story about Tyler being blood hunted, but that this guy was allowed to stay in the Camarilla, but you don't really know... Seems like a cordial enough fella, but okay. yeah, that's about it. Okay. So he'll leave the, you know, he'll leave the, the general vicinity. He'll go over to the desk and um, some busy work. You're not really sure what. Going through okay. some papers or something. A few minutes later, you'll see the door open again. Um, this time you will see, you'll see a, a man of African-American heritage. Um, you'd place him around six feet. He's wearing a suit, very nice suit. And he is definitely shadowed by an entourage, uh, individuals all, uh, all around him, basically. You'll see some other individuals that kind of like visually remind you of the driver, but you'll also see what you think is a woman that's with him, but you're not quite sure. Has that look like you can't quite place the gender? It's not that important in the in the circles that you carry, but it's one of those things that sticks out. Long blonde hair, attractive, but definitely sort of androgynous, dressed in like... Um, 
slightly outdated like like leather vinyl club clothing definitely this is not really the style anymore you know it was a style 20 or 30 years ago that individual is still carrying it off well the one thing that does seem remarkable to you aside from the androgyny of the individual is just like the obvious inhumanity of the individual there's certain ticks that humans have breathing blinking you know, that flush of health. And this individual doesn't seem to be taking much effort to faking it. Right. You know? The very alien movements. For you, it's not, like I said before, it's not really a thing that you fake. It's just a thing that, like, you kind of still compulsively do. You know, if you sit and think about it, you're like, oh, I don't really need to blink. Like, my eyes are not generating liquid. I don't really care. But, like, you just do it because it's second nature. You haven't forgotten it yet. Additionally, you will see someone that you do recognize with him. You'll see another, you put him at about uh, 14 years old, African-American boy. You know him to be an anarch. His name is Damien. And he is uh, an individual that's, that's, you know him to be a member of the nihilists. That's what they call ourselves. It's like a gang of, of anarchs. You know of him and another dude named Genghis that he tends to hang out with. He hangs out with a ton of different individuals. He's kind of like, a you know, he goes to different groups. He's actually part of like a band that plays in the city, but he's known to be an anarch. They'll walk, you'll see him walk over to the desk and sit down and you'll see Damien will walk up to you. He wants to talk to you. Okay. I will motion to move to the side, assuming that he doesn't want to just talk and standing in the center of the room. He'll, he'll kind of guide you over to the desk. As you walk over to the desk, you'll see the suited man stand up and he'll extend his hand to you. Shake hands. Do you know who I am? Not by appearance. My name is Kevin Jackson. You and I, we come from the same family. I'd like to have a few words with you before we proceed with the evening. Does that work? Works for me. You'll see him, he'll look to to Damien and to the other people, and he'll kind of nod to them. Why don't you give us a few minutes? You'll see Damien. What strikes you as odd is that it seems as if there there's a certain level of respect coming from between the two of them that you kind of find confusing. Okay. Like, like you, Damien, you know to be an anarch. You're not quite sure what's going on here. So what you'll see is you'll see Damien and that, that crew... They'll walk over to where the old man is, and they'll have some words with him. And they'll all walk out the door that they came in. You see, as they walk out the door outside there, there's actually quite a few people milling about. Okay. Um, nobody that you recognize, though. But you'll see that where you're at is kind of like a side office, and out there are a bunch of art exhibits. And he'll have you sit down. Um, does Does Kevin's name mean anything to Jamie? Yes, okay. it does. Okay. This man is the Prince of Chicago. Okay. So I got to ask you. Just real quick. Are you happy with your current situation? I'm not unhappy with it. This question's been rolling around in my head for about a month now. I've been trying to figure it out. Would you mind answering me a question? Just just to humor me? I won't guarantee I'll answer it, but I'll say probably. Okay. Why are you an anarch? He stiffens a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because I watched Hypocrisy at its best. Do you know anything about me? A little, not much. Okay. Well, let me start with introductions. First and foremost, I'm Kevin Jackson. I am chilled to loading, etc., etc., etc. You know the game. I'm not going to waste my time or yours because I don't care about any of that old bullshit. I was embraced because I had a certain amount of ability to provide something 
that my sire desperately thought he needed to control a city. If you have a half a brain, you know there's no chance of controlling anything. There's no control here. But what you have is you have me and you have a whole group of other individuals, some of which you may have heard of by reputation, some you may know historically, others you may never have met, that this individual Loden went around and embraced because he felt that was how he could control the city. And he's dead now. So I am quite familiar with hypocrisy, especially when it comes from our own clan. But I need to truly understand, hypocrisy cannot be the only thing that sends you into the arms of chaos. How is it any more chaotic than what you have to deal with? That's a good question. How is it more chaotic? Well, and you you may know, Anarchs, Camarilla, we've had a bit of a difference of opinion. See, I, I was always raised to believe that the Anarch population was simply an extension of what the Camarilla is. And what the Camarilla is is an organization that's designed to protect all of our interests. However, I know at the heart of it what that really means is a bunch of old motherfuckers trying to keep what they think is theirs out of the more deserving pockets of the youth. Now, I don't know when you were embraced, but I know you ain't that old. I know you're can you you are what I would consider a peer more than a lesser. You understand what I'm saying? I think so, yeah. The real question that's been burning me up that I've been trying to figure out is what do you think you can build from the outside? I think outside this is a chance to build something that is real and not just keep rebuilding the same bullshit. What bullshit? What What are you again? You're the prince? Mm-hmm. How many princes of Chicago have there been? Been How, a few. How many princes of any fucking city have there been? So, you got a big target on your back. Yeah, that's true. From your friends and allies. The only allies I have are the allies I've made through the deals that I've done. And the enemies that I have are those that covet what I, what I have or want what I won't give them. And you're just more straight up than most princes. That's true. I am. Because every prince that's come here before, my sire included, tried to trick his way into power. None of these people understood what loyalty was. Not one. Every kindred that stepped foot into that position was either a sucker or a tyrant. I'm not that. So, the reason why I've invited you here tonight. One very simple reason. You're a member of my clan. That gives you the first advantage. That that makes me give a shit to look. Fuck's a member of my clan doing shacked up with the Anarchs. What the fuck is a member of my clan doing stepping and fetching to a fucking bruja? No offense. That's y'all arrangement. I'm just curious. So, what's this motherfucker think he can accomplish outside of our organization that we couldn't accomplish together? That bruja that I step and fetch for, there's loyalty there. All right. And it goes both ways so far. I can respect that. I looked into you. I see you have potential. Great potential, especially in the coming nights where we're seeing our only enemy, and I mean our, not just mine, not just the Camarillas, I mean our, our only enemy, the Sabbat, gone, collapsing. So now, what do we have to worry about? We have to worry about what they're calling the Second Inquisition. So our mutual survival's at stake. 
So what do I have to do to open my doors to individuals who aren't going to put my existence at risk so that I can build something of worth, something that lasts, something of value? Same thing we do every night, and that's look to see who's worth that risk. And that's not something that blood denotes. You know that. So let me ask you a question. What do you think it would take to change a system from outside? Less than it takes to change the system from the inside. Where do you get that impression? Because the people who can make the changes from the inside are setting in your chair or chairs above you. And by the time they make the chairs above you, they don't want to change it. Check this out. You know, I'm, I'm the prince of this city. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're aware of how I got to this position. That's not super important, but the fact is I'm here. And I'll tell you something. I'm, I'm not 100 years old. I'm not 500 years old. I'm not, I'm not any of those things. You know, I was, I was embraced when TV was a thing. So I know a thing or two about watching the system change and changing the system from within. You may not know this, but there's not a Camarilla City in the United States that's more important than this one. So what I'm telling you is, you have right now an opportunity that there's not one in a hundred kindred would have the opportunity to do. I've invited you here because I see value and potential in you and I see value and potential in changing the system. What I'm saying is, do you want to change the system from without or do you want to change the system from within? I want to change the system. And And right now, I think where I'm at is a good starting point for that. How does the system need to change? It's, it's an old boys club. Mm -hmm. And there's a perception that the virtue of one's lineage means more than what somebody does. And that's a problem. What if I told you I would be willing to put you and some other individuals like you in a position where you would have a say in how things went down and how the system evolved to a modern era? If it doesn't prevent me from having to burn those loyalties that I have, great. Let's get started. Who are you loyal to? Are you loyal to a movement or are you loyal to people? I am loyal to people right now. And the movement is the change. If that's what if that is a movement that you want to call that's not what all anarchs are. Let's be honest. What I am is loyal to change and I am loyal to people who have earned it. Okay. What about individuals that put us all at peril for future endeavors? Do you have the wisdom to see those individuals for what they are? I would certainly hope so. Because you say you're loyal to people. And I'm loyal to people too. But here's the thing. We have to set the example first and foremost. If we set the example here of what can be accomplished through coexistence instead of outright combat, I'd be willing to do something. I'd be willing to work something out. But right now, there's some situations in and around this city that need change on your end. Now, I have two choices, two very simple choices. I can either do the prince thing, which is send my bully boys out, start burning shit down, start cracking heads, or 
someone can do it for us. Someone can adjudicate that for us. We can talk about how that works out. The the more heads that get cracked, regardless of which one of us does it, the more we have to be worried about that second coming again. The more attention we draw, the more danger we have. So we can we can lay a groundwork to start talking about our side fixing our problems so long as they are actually our problems and problem people and not just people who are getting in the way of your business. My business is uh, maintaining the city. Our ability to feed, our ability to converse. I don't care about any of the political alliances, allegiances, gangs. The shit don't concern me. I'm past that, beyond it. But here's the truth of the matter. We have a finite capability in this city to, to feed our population. And as such, I've come to you to let you know I'm willing to extend an olive branch to you because of what I've heard about you, because of your line, because of your willingness to change things, and you seem to have half a brain in your head. That's a rarity among Anarchs. And I'm also willing to extend that olive branch to nine other Anarchs. Nine. Nine total. Ten. You and nine others. No, I mean nine others total, counting... Mm -hmm. Is that included what's out there? And he motions toward the other room. I don't know Anarchs out there. Okay. Those are individuals who've chosen to work within the system. They have the privilege of membership. What I'm saying is I am willing to extend that same privilege to you and to nine others if you're willing to accept it. If you are not willing to accept it, our conversation, all further conversations are null and void. We remain in opposition. But I'm telling you, I'm looking for something new. I'm not looking for the old ways. There are individuals who are unwilling to see a vision for the future. They are unwilling to be protected by myself. They are unwilling to acknowledge that there are traditions, that there are old ways that need to be maintained, that I'm left with no choice. If you're willing to sit here and extend that olive branch, I'm not asking you to join. I'm not asking you to attend meetings. I'm not asking you to talk to Primogen. I'm not asking you to get permission from anybody. What I'm asking is adherence to the masquerade. I'm asking for acknowledgement of the domain. And all the wild bullshit stops. But what you get is you get the same benefit that... Are you familiar with the term Primogen? You have to be. Yeah. The same thing that they would get. There's others already out there in your movement that have made inroads alliances I don't fuck with them they don't fuck with me you understand what I'm saying so I need to know if this is something you're on board for or if it's something you're not it's something I'm willing to consider but I hope you understand it's not something I really want to give you a definitive answer within the last 30 seconds of our conversation. I want to let you know 
couple of things so you don't leave out of here blind. Malkavian Primogen. He's already vouched for uh, the Malkavian you roll with in your in your coterie, your club. He's vouched for her. Tremere. Ain't said shit about your buddy. And they probably won't. And Critias, who you met earlier, he has a very particular thing about members of his clan. He has offered to put himself in a position as mentor and teacher to provide lessons to the Bruja. Teach him how to be upright and poets or some shit. So apparently he has this open door policy. Anybody willing to take classes and pass his tests can hang out and stay. From what, uh, from what Damien has told me, he does not anticipate that your friend Phil is going to be interested in any of the things I have to say. Probably not directly, no. But uh, I think I can talk to Phil. Get them to see benefits to the situation if that is the way I believe it goes. I have a request. You can tell me to fuck off if you like, but it would show a great deal of um, willingness to work together. You are the prince. It would be impolite and impolitic for me to say fuck off right now, at least to your face. Duly noted. There is an individual in this city, a remnant of the past, a holdover. His ways are a bit macabre. Frankly, I find him quite offensive. He runs a risk to all of us on a nightly basis. He doesn't feed in the traditional sense of the word. He um, has to eat his prey. And he's held up at an old hospital. Quite frankly, I want him gone. I don't care where he goes, as long as he's out of this city. Is this something you and your friends might be able to, on a very hush-hush, don't-tell-nobody-you're-doing-it-for-me basis, might be willing to uh, take care of? Who is the individual? What's their name? What's their blood? So this individual is named Rustin former prince before me was using him to uh, to do his quote-unquote dirty work. He's held up at an old abandoned hospital. It's called Edgewater Hospital. Okay. If he were to stop being an issue, I think it would uh, position you into a very nice spot. Are you asking us to kill? I am not extending my right of destruction to you, an Anarch Ventru. Just clarifying. What I am telling you is your willingness to escort a problem out of my domain would give me leeway to look favorably upon you and your coterie in future endeavors. I can't speak for the rest of the gang, but I believe it is something we can discuss with this Rustin about moving to more favorable grounds. Good. I wouldn't want you to put your loyalty to your people at risk. All I'm asking you to do is use some of the lessons imparted upon you. We all had thrust upon us during our embrace and use that for your benefit. At least one of us can, I'm sure, convince him it's time to move on. Good. Wherever he goes, as long as I don't ever have to hear about him again, I will be satisfied. We can work on that. He'll stand up. He'll extend a hand. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that at some point in the very near future, we can all come to terms with where we are in this new world. Seems like a uh, whole lot of hope to hold on to in one hand, but we'll see. He'll shake your hand if you offer it. Yep. Feel free to commiserate if you uh, if you like. Otherwise, I can have my man take you home. I think I'll uh, circulate for a bit and maybe pay Edgewater a visit before uh, returning home. Sure. Sounds good. So he'll 
wait a certain a, a discrete amount of time before leaving the room after Kevin leaves. Okay. So he's you know the prince isn't seen. Sure. Commiserating directly with a, an anarch. Sure. I mean, you'll walk out and uh, you'll be like in the museum proper. Um, yeah. You'll see some folks sort of milling about, and it, it's it's very apparent to you that this is some sort of gathering. Um, your character would have enough understanding to note that uh, where you are is an Elysium. Okay. And the Elysium. A lot of people don't understand exactly what that means, but Elysium is—it's like holy ground, right? It's like it's like um, the church in the Highlander, right? Mm-hmm. All political ideologies, all fighting, hypothetically, are to be set aside. Now, some sects, some Canites, kindred, don't give a shit. However, it does extend you a certain level of protection. While individuals here may not talk to you, because I don't know who you are, you know, nobody will attack you. Right. And as long as you obey the masquerade, you should have nothing to worry about. And that, that's mostly what he's doing is looking to see who's who is who if anybody is willing to come talk to him, see if there are other anarch faces he recognizes other than Damien out there. Basically, most of the individuals that are here you don't recognize. Okay. Um, but Damien is very particular because the prince does go and talk to him and that other individual that was with him, and they do leave. Okay. Um, you will see um, some individuals you'll see. You'll see a, a very attractive Caucasian woman, short blonde hair. That's one of the individuals that you'll see. You know, strikingly beautiful, blue eyes, blonde hair, you know, dressed very fashionably, but like casually, with like tight black jeans, a pair of high heel shoes. I don't know what they're called, but like, you know, just a shirt with like little spaghetti strap. And then she's got like a t-shirt, like you see her there. Very attractive. Just kind of looking around, admiring the art, like definitely someone that sticks out like, mm-hmm. holy shit. Slightly um, creepy. Like she's got that predator, like the that image that you showed me has that predator look. She right. has that kind of like yeah, yeah. Her her beauty almost is to the point of being predatory in nature. Okay, you'll definitely see this fella here. He's another individual, strikingly handsome, long hair. You know, dressed very casually for the evening in a button-down shirt, like a silk shirt almost. You look at him and immediately peg him as like a club kid, pretty boy. Okay. Um, you'll see another individual, tall, just un- unremarkable features, but wearing like uh, like almost traditional like Muslim garb, a long robe, and then you know the head adornment as well, but. You can't really place his features. He just kind of seems like fairly unremarkable. You know, just some other nondescript individuals as well. You can hang out for as long as you want, but you don't really see anybody. Like, nobody really comes up and talks to you. You know, it's kind of like being a loner. You know, you don't know anybody and nobody knows you, so. Right. Yeah, Jamie's patience isn't going to let him stick around for long. After about a half an hour, he's going to be ready to go. And then. Okay. He'll leave the way he is told to leave and find the driver and well you know it's good to assume in in that regard you'll you'll kind of go back out the way you came and nobody corrects you you'll walk out out of the parking lot and you'll see that one car and those two individuals that were waiting they're waiting there now okay so i'm i am ready to return okay dude will uh open the door you'll go around to the the passenger side open the back door and he'll open the door for you okay Get into the car. Once once they're both in the car, then mm-hmm. I'm going to ask them if they know where Edgewater Hospital's at. The passenger will look in the rearview mirror, 
It's the white guy, the MMA fighter type. Yeah, yeah we know where it's at. Is it on the way? Anything's on the way if you want to go there. Yep, I do. Uh, we'll we'll take you. No worries. Okay. So they'll get on the highway. They'll take it down to um, the south side of the city and into a kind of like a real crummy side of town. You'll see basically as you get off of the highway, you know, more of like a dilapidated neighborhood and you'll come up on this hospital. And what you see is basically there's a clinic that sort of like faces street level. And behind it is this huge hospital complex that's pitch black. It's basically been you know, completely blacked out. And you can see, I don't know if you've ever been to like a hospital that's been shut down, but it's definitely very disconcerting. It's like a city block. It's just like blacked out, boarded up. And that's what you have here. You can see uh, Edgewater Hospital is actually now Edgewater Clinic. It's a small like um, immediate care type of uh, clinic. Basically like one wing of this hospital is operating still and the rest of it is all done. But you know, it's got like the the little um, little cul-de-sac area. You can kind of cruise up, place for uh, you know an ambulance, and it's got like a, you know an immediate care out there mm-hmm. at the front. On the on the trip, it is trying to talk to the guy who obviously seems to know something. Mm-hmm. What do you know about Edgewater Hospital? Well, what do you want to know? Um, what happens there right now in the hospital part? Um, as far as I know, just like people get you know get sick they go in uh, you know it's just like a it's like a little clinic it's nothing it's not it's not a, really a hospital anymore there's some some doctors there but like they don't have um they don't have like a trauma unit they don't have an er you know it's just for like you stub your toe or you get your tonsils are swollen any of that bullshit do you want to know the real fun part do you want to know why they closed yeah <laughs> so like i don't know 10 15 years ago something like that they used to be like a full-fledged hospital. They were like, um, they would treat a lot of gunshot wounds and things like that. And what happened was they were taking people who were wounded and they were amputating their limbs and selling them on the black market. The fuck you sell a limb for? <laughs> Hell if I know. Who the fuck? But, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyways, they got caught up in that scandal, and so they closed down most of the hospital. It's been off limits for years, so your kind don't typically go around there. Well, yeah, but that's what I'm looking for is to see if any of my kind are hanging out there. So we're going to do a couple drive arounds. Mm-hmm. I'd appreciate y'all keeping your eyes open, helping me to catch something I might miss. Sure. And then once we get there, just do the, the scan and pass and see if there's... Anything that looks like it's it's a huge building. Yeah. Like the chance of finding is only one spot that people come in and out of to use it for whatever they want to use it for is slim. But okay. Thank you for listening to episode six of New Moon Rising. We'll be back next episode with part two of Jamie's journey into darkness.